Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Jimmy Murphy here with Pierre Maguire, and this is another episode of the Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre Maguire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. Hey, Jimmy Murphy here with Pierre McGuire on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network. And we're going to get right into it. We're really happy to welcome on our guest of the day here. And that's Jay Pandolfo, the head coach of Boston University, two-time Stanley Cup champion as well. NCAA champion as a player. And for you Boston people watching too, a former Boston Bruin, Burlington Mass native. Pando, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks Good for having me. You. Yeah, well, one thing I don't—I don't appreciate the opening here with the Bork winning the Stanley Cup. I was on the wrong side of that. That's it's already set in there. I know yeah. that's right. <laughs> that was a tough one for you. It's a bad memory. Yeah, I hear you. I hear. You. Well, you had a good memory the year before. Yeah, for sure. For that's sure. right. So, Panda, we'll get right into it here too. And, um, you know, thanks for taking the time. I know it's a game day. You guys got Quinnipiac coming up. We'll get to that game in a second. But one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you too is, you've got. 14 NHL drafted prospects on your team right now. And in general, how do you how do you help these kids live in the now and not get too far ahead of themselves when they know that that's in the future? How do you keep them grounded? I, I think the a big part of it is just getting them to understand um, that this this is the time of their life, really, in college and embracing being here, embracing being part of it not looking too far ahead. I know sometimes it's easier said than done, um, but I think it starts with the culture here at BU as well. Um, and it's, it was like that when I was here 30 years ago, um, where I can be where your feet are at. And, and that's the message to our guys. And I, and I think other guys in our team that have been here for a couple of years that have been draft picks, you know, they're sending that message as well to our guys. And I think our guys appreciate that. And I think our guys understand too, that we're here to help them get to that next level, but we also want them when they're here to make sure that they're doing their, everything they can to help our program. Here, Jimmy, I want to go down the road with coach Pandolfo here, because one of the things that he has to do is teach players how to be better and how to win. And one of the things Jay's always done going back to Berlin in high school, when he was a red devil to his Boston University days, to his New Jersey Devils days, was win. Jay, what did you learn from Coach Parker? Yeah, from he, he um, it, it really was about playing winning hockey, and that's mm-hmm. the message that we're trying to send now. It's it's all the little things that add up over the course of of the games that you know help you win at the end. And if you're not doing those things right, it's very difficult. I don't care how talented you are as a team and how much talent you have on your team. If you don't play the game the right way, you're going to have a hard time winning championships. So that's the things that we're trying to instill in our guys is just the little details that matter. 
uh, that are going to help you win. And, and for us right now, we're listen. It's it's uh, it doesn't just happen overnight. We have 13 new players on our team this year, and it takes time for guys to understand that. Um, anything from even last game, we played Maine and we're up five two uh, in the third period. Should have put the game away, uh, but you know we take a not a very smart penalty in the 200 feet from our net. They score on the power play. Um, not putting pucks in at the right time, all these little things that add up and, and you're not going to win unless you do things the right way. So it's just constant teaching and going over stuff with these guys to let them get them to understand that if you want to win, you have to do things the right way. What'd you learn from Jacques Lemaire, your first NHL coach? Jacques is probably the smartest coach I've ever been around. Just in exactly, it was about the details in every part of the game. Um, a lot about angles, a lot about, um, returning to to the defensive zone, a lot about transition, just the little things that, that help you win hockey games. He he was the most detailed coach I had ever been around. There's, there's no question about it. You won your first Stanley Cup in 2000, and Larry Robinson was a head coach. What did you learn from Larry? Another guy that came from the Montreal uh, system um, of Ooh. winning championships and very similar to Jacques, um, just about doing, doing things the right way and also to understanding – um, what your role is and accepting that and, and accepting your role and doing it well so you can help the team win. And, you, and, you know, you have to sacrifice. that. That's that's part of it. Not everyone can play on the power play. Not everyone can be on the first line. You have to have guys buy in. And those guys are very good at doing that and getting guys to understand that you have to accept that role and do it to the best of your ability. Your second Stanley Cup was in 2003. You guys won a game seven against Anaheim. Pat Burns was a coach, another Montreal tie-in. What did you learn from Pat? Yeah, Pat was one of my one of my favorites. He he was um, he could be very hard on you, but at the end of the day, he just wanted you to to compete and play hard and do anything you can for the team. And if if you did that, he had, he had a ton of respect for you, and that's what he wanted from our group. And he got that. I don't think we had them. We had a really good team, but I don't think we were the most talented team in the National Hockey League in two thousand three. But you know, we played hard and we played the right way. And you know, obviously, we had a great goaltender as well. But Pat just instilled that he wanted guys to compete, and um, that's how you know that's how we won. Jimmy, that goaltender he's alluding to, by the way, was a 20th pick in the 1990 draft, Marty Brodeur. So he was a pretty good goalie. Yeah, Jimmy, he was I think coach might have a first overall pick on his BU team. Do you want to maybe play a little tape for him? Yeah, let's do that. Goes down deep, centering feet for Green, and that one cuts middle. High slot, Celebrini holding at the circle. Get it out high. Comes right back to him, and he scores! Man, this kid, Pando, that's the first time I watched that game, and that's the first time I've really watched him closely. He is the real deal, and, and the way he thinks the game is what struck me the most. What can you tell us about Macklin Celebrini? Yeah, I, I it's – I mean, I talk – obviously, a lot of people are asking me about Macklin, and um, I can't say enough about this kid. Forget about his, how good he is as a player, but just just overall as a person as well and how driven he is, how dedicated he is, what a great teammate he is. Um, but he is such an impressive player. To be 17 years old and to play the game the way he does, it really is impressive. Um, obviously, he's very talented offensively. But this kid competes just as hard defensively. Uh, works above the puck. Works back to the D zone. We we have him up. You know we're um, you know five on six protecting the lead. He's out there at the end of games because he's that detailed. He cares about every part of the game, which is uh, I think you don't see that a lot in seventeen year old uh, hockey players that have this high offensive upside. And 
Um, that's what's so impressive about him. And the other thing too is he he plays inside the dots. Like he attacks, he gets inside the dots. Um, he's anything but a perimeter player. He's opposite. Like he plays inside all over the ice. Um, and he 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 works like he works at everything he does, and he's so prepared. And I think that's why he's so good. Like he he's prepared with everything he does. And a lot of times when you're that prepared and you're that talented, good things are going to happen. So I, I can't say enough good things. I really, it's very impressive and he's actually wonderful to coach. He wants to learn. He's willing to learn he, he, everything. He, he is so coachable. And like I said, I can't say enough about this kid. One of the yeah. players you have too, uh, a second round pick of the Montreal Canadiens, Lane Hudson, an undersized defenseman. Is there a player in the national hockey league? that he reminds you of Jay? It's funny. Yes. I like Kim Bramble and I have, you know, I coached the national hockey, played the national hockey league. Kim was, you know, player development skills coach in the national hockey. We can't really think of a guy that plays like him, like exactly like he, he just has such a unique style. Um, he's like a point guard in basketball where he, he basically like, he like one-on-one uh, sets, sets up guys and, um, no look passes, all sorts of stuff he does is is so impressive. Um, I don't know if there's one guy. I, I mean, I guess Fox a little bit just the way he thinks the game. Like he really yeah. thinks the game, uh, but plays a little bit different than Fox, but thinks the game the same way. He's a step or two ahead of the players he's playing against. Um, and then another guy that is off the charts competitive, off the charts competitive he is, um, which is very impressive. Another guy that he's in the office every Monday at 8 o'clock, wanting to watch the games from the weekend. That's how he's wired. He wants to no, no. You're, you're spot on. And yeah. you know what? It's great, Coach, that you brought up Adam Fox because that's the comparable that I've been using on the player. I think once he gets a little bit bigger, people forget when Adam Fox first started at Harvard, he wasn't exactly a large guy, um, but he grew mm -hmm. into his body and he got bigger because of training. And I think Lane Hudson will have the same thing. The final player I want to ask you about, he's a Montreal Canadian second-round pick, is Luke Tuck. Yeah, Luke Tuck is – he's been arguably – I mean, besides Macklin, he, from day one this year, our most consistent player. I think the big thing for Luke is he, he's coming in – well, came into the season healthy. I think the last couple of years he's even come into the season a little banged up and didn't get off to great starts. But now he's healthy. He's playing to an identity. Um, he's a big, strong, power forward type player. And you're seeing that now. You're seeing it shift after shift. He's playing with Macklin. He's earned that. He's creating space for Macklin. Uh, he's starting to make a lot more plays, too. They're starting to read off each other pretty well. Um, so I've been – I can't say enough good things about Luke. Like, he, he at times right this year has looked like a man against boys with his physicality, and, um, and I think that's what we've kind of expected from him. But I think the injuries had slowed him down in the previous couple of seasons, but he's really on top of his game right now. What's been the biggest transition for Jay Pandolf leaving life in the National Hockey League where you were for over 20 years to now being a college coach at your alma mater? Yeah, it's just been a um, great for, number one, just being back here. I uh, spent four of the best years of my life here and had such a great experience. And hopefully I can you know, get these players here to have that same type of experience that I had. And uh, do things similar the way they were done, the way Jack Parker did it. So I, I really enjoy that. And just being around my family more, um, it's just a different lifestyle in college. And it's still, it's still a grind. You're still out recruiting and 
um, you have the weekend games, but you are home more. Um, I'm at a lot more of my kids' practices, a lot more of my kids' games. And, um, I really appreciate that fact. So I'm, I'm just having a blast doing this. Jimmy, I don't like to give out free advice, but this is my only advice to Jay Van Dolfel before they play Quinnipiac, play five on five. <laughs> I appreciate that. We'll, <laughs> we'll try to keep it that way. For sure. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. Coach. We appreciate you joining us. Good luck. No problem. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank All you. right, that's Coach Jay Pandolfo. And, man, you know, Pierre, growing up when, you know, kids, when you're growing up watching hockey, you you kind of always flock to the, the stats guys, right, or the flashier guys, the high-end players. You know, those are the players that the fans – that guy to me was one of the first guys that I always watched and said, he's so hardworking. And I, I just love that work ethic that he always brought to the table. And I used to say – and my dad and I would talk about it, my grandfather would talk about it. He said, that guy is why – teams win cups when you have a guy like him it's not just about the star players it's about a guy like jay pandolfo and it, you can see from what he says that's what he's trying to convey to these kids over at bu i'm so glad you brought that up jimmy because you know the truth of the matter is when lou lamorello ran the new jersey devils more times than not even marty broder by the way they had to go to the american hockey league and they didn't call it the american hockey league they called it lou you <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, all the players that were drafted by New Jersey had to go do their time in the American Hockey League. Jay mm -hmm. Pandolfo was one of those guys, and he did not put up big numbers in the American Hockey League. But you know what he did? He showed them exactly what you were talking about. He worked. Yep. He accepted his role. He became an elite checker. He became an elite penalty killer, and he became a two-time Stanley Cup winner after winning a national championship as a player at Boston University. I can't say enough about Jay. And you know what? I know they didn't win the cup when he was with the Boston Bruins as a coach, but darn it, they were pretty darn close, Jimmy. They were pretty darn close. It's funny. I, I want to bring it up, but I knew he was short on time. You guys were talking about who who does who does he remind you of with uh, Hudson there too. And look, I think Hudson's going to be way better than this player I'm about to say, but I do – I don't know. I see a little Tory Krug in him, Pierre. I, I, Tory, there is the difference is I don't think Tory had the same peripheral vision or has the same peripheral vision that Lane okay. does, but they're similar in how they carry the puck and move out of their own that's zone. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I see about Adam Fox or comparable with Fox and Hudson. Fox has his uncanny ability to move the puck all over the ice. You think he's going to his right, but he's really going to his left. Mm -hmm. Hudson's kind of the same thing. And I love the comparable that Coach Pandolfo used when he said he's like a point guard in basketball. Yeah. He really, he really is. This, yeah. If you have not seen this player, he is an unbelievably unique player to watch play. He really is. It is. It's great. Pierre, look, we, we, we're psyched to have that, and uh, we're going to have, obviously, Greg Brown. It, all these college coaches, I'm psyched to get these guys going on, Pierre, and keep talking about this, too. But we do have a little NHL to talk about because it is one of the busiest nights of the year. I think I look at it, what, they, they had that one earlier this year that they tried out on a Tuesday, right, where every team was playing. And now we're going to get something similar to that tonight, and we're going to have it Friday as well. Uh, I love it. I think the NHL needs more of this. I kind of call it puck madness, like March Madness. It, it's great. It's just buckle up, get some pizza, kick back, or on Friday, get your leftovers, make your Thanksgiving sandwich there, and watch a lot of hockey. And I'll tell you, Pierre, two of the games that I'm going to go out west, the two games I'm watching for Wednesday night, I think are going to be wars. And we'll start with the Vegas Golden Knights at the Dallas Stars. Some playoff history there from last year. The Vegas Golden Knights come in right now as the best team in hockey. 
uh, just ahead of the Boston Bruins and the Dallas Stars are, are nipping at them right there, right below them. What are you looking at in this game uh, that will stand out to you as it gets going? It's a coaching showdown. It's Pete DeBoer versus Bruce Cassidy. So it's adjustments. It's adjustments personified, period mm-hmm. to period, shift to shift. It's unbelievable how smart both those coaching staffs are and how smart the head coaches are. That's number one. Number two, it's a goalie matchup. It's Aiden Hill, who came out of nowhere, Jimmy. I mean, nobody picked Aiden Hill to be a Stanley Cup winning goalie uh, when he was playing in the Western Hockey League against Jake Ottinger. We just had Jay Pandolfo on from BU. Jake Ottinger is a proud Boston University Terrier, even though he grew up in the great state of Minnesota. He is a BU Terrier. So that goaltending matchup is going to be huge. Uh, obviously, Hill for Vegas, a Stanley Cup winner. Ottinger's yet to win the Cup. Um, and finally, I think the biggest thing is Vegas has lost three out of their last four games. Uh, and they just got shut out in Pittsburgh, 3-0. Jimmy, I think they're bringing the heat tonight. I think yeah. they're bringing the heat tonight. And so Dallas better bring it all. They better bring it all tonight. They really better. Speaking of Dallas bringing it all, look, Dallas is a, is a great structured team. I love That's what I love about them. I, I love the physicality they bring, but do they need a little more firepower when it comes down to when we get to April and May and hopefully June for them? They don't um, as long as Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben can remain consistent offensive point producers. If they can't, and over the last couple of years, they have not been as consistent as right. I'm sure both players would like to be. And like Jim Nill, the general manager, would like them to be, or Pete DeBoer, the head coach, would like them to be. But they're still very viable players. But if they can't take it to the next level, like a Rope Hints can, mm-hmm. then I think they're going to be looking for a little bit more consistent offense. Doesn't mean those players can't produce, they just have to produce with more consistency. All right, you're Pete DeBoer going into this game, and you're trying to enable your forwards to get around the Redwood Forest, I like to call the uh, <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights da- uh, defense. What are you telling them? How do you do it? Get the pucks in behind and go grind. Force Jack Eichel, um, force Chandler Stevenson, their center iceman, to play defense rather than offense. Play a puck possession, grinding game from the hash mark to the icing line from pole to pole, deep in the uh, offensive zone, force Vegas to defend, excuse me, rather than attack. And if you do that, you're going to take the wind out of their sails because Vegas is a great counterattack team. But if they're forced to defend for 20 to 30 seconds at a time, that counterattack goes away. All right. I want to go upstairs to the GMs on both these teams, Pierre, because I got got a lot of time for both of them. I think Mm -hmm. they've done a spectacular job. I want to start with Jimmy Nill, who, you know – Obviously, he was an assistant GM for so long in Detroit. Not enough people understand the role he played there. Talk to me about how much he meant to that organization and how he's carried that over into Dallas. Well, Detroit for years and years had just such a fundamental ability to grow internally because they had people with vision, whether it was Jimmy Devilano or Scotty Bowman or Kenny Holland, Jimmy Nill, uh, the late Nick Polano. Um, they had so many good people uh, that were there. Uh, Steve Eiserman, after his playing career was over, uh, Pat Verbeek. They had so many good people internally, and everybody just was singing from the same songbook. 
but Jimmy was a go-getter. Jimmy understood the college players because his son played at Michigan State. Jimmy understood the, understood the Western Hockey League guys because he played in the Western Hockey League. He knew the Ontario and Quebec leagues because he had worked there, especially in his time with the Ottawa Senators where they're just coming out of uh, expansion. So Jimmy had this unbelievable ability to understand all the different things that happened. And remember, it's really important. Hawken Anderson's probably the best European scout ever. He's part of the Red Wings organization. Jimmy Nill spent, I'm just going to say, thousands of hours probably with Hawken overseas. That makes a difference, Jimmy. It goes back to what we were talking about. It comes down to understanding where to find players, where to find coaches, where to make sure you're not wasting your time overseas on, on a goose chase. Um, and so when you got quality people to learn from, and Jimmy did, you become a quality management person. And that's exactly what Jimmy is. And we go to the other side, Kelly McCrimmon, obviously a great hockey family. You knew his brother well. God bless him. Uh, but I look at Kelly McCrimmon, Pierre, and I kind of think of Bill Belichick because <laughs> he'll do whatever it takes to win. He's ruthless. And he's good. he doesn't care if a player is the fan favorite. If, if he's got to ship him out to get better, then he's doing it. Well, here's the thing about Belichick. He didn't care if you played lacrosse at Rutgers University and he thought you could be a good wide receiver or if you are left tackle at Rutgers and he said you're better on defense rather than off. I've never seen a guy recruit and draft more guys from Rutgers University in the <laughs> NFL than, than Bill Belichick. Yep. So he kind of was comfortable with that. Well, now Kelly McCrimmon, that's a great comparable by you, Jimmy, by the way. Kelly McCrimmon, he knows the Western Hockey League better than anybody. He was a coach, he was a general manager, and he's an owner of the Brandon yeah. Kings. So nobody knows the West better. So look at their roster. Look at their roster. I'll give you an example of their roster and how they've built it. Zach Whitehead. Or, uh, White, Cloud. White Cloud. I said Whitehead. Zach White Cloud. He's a kid that grew up uh, right next to Brandon. Didn't play for the Brandon Wheat Kings, went to Bemidji State. The, the LA Kings actually brought him to rookie development camp, and they didn't sign him. So the next year, Kelly says, I got this guy. So they bring him to Vegas. Oh, he makes God. Their team. <laughs> That's just one example. And you can go down the line. Look at Braden McNabb. Look at all the guys that are on the Vegas Golden Knights, especially those big lumbering trees you talked about on the back end. Most of them are Western Hockey League guys. Yeah. And, and who knew them better than anybody else? Kelly McCrimmon. Yep. He does. He's done a good job there. Pierre, I want to switch gears now. There's another game I'm looking at too, and I'm really psyched about this one. I think it's going to be a fun run and gun type game. And that's the Vancouver Canucks heading to Denver to take on the Colorado Avalanche. Huge game for both sides. Look, I know. For hardcore NHL fans, we're all aware of everything that's going on in Vancouver. But for those, the average fan or maybe someone who's more regional, living over here in the East Coast, just tell our listeners what is making that team tick right now. We've touched on it before, but for those who might have missed it, what is making the Vancouver Canucks tick and get off to this start? Rick Talk has been phenomenal. Adam Foote's been great. Mike Yo has been really solid. Sergey Gonchar's influenced their defenseman unbelievably well with Adam Foote. Uh, we talked about that, I think, two weeks ago when we started this show. Um, the biggest thing, though, is so they move the puck really well from defense to forwards. That's number one. That's a talk thing. They're Pittsburgh Penguins. West, look at all the influence from the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
the president of hockey operations, the general manager, Patrick Alvin, the, the president is obviously Jimmy Rutherford, the coach, Rick Tockett, who won two cups there under Mike Sullivan and won as a player in 1992 with Scotty Bowman as his head coach. Um, you can go down the line, Sam Lafferty, a former Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, just look at Casey DeSmith, the backup goalie, a former Pittsburgh Penguin. Just look at what they've done there. Ian Cole, uh, two-time Stanley Cup winner with Pittsburgh. He's there. So if you look at all the different things, they've built their roster with guys that Rick Tockett, Jimmy Rutherford, and Patrick Alvin know very well. They know the character of those players. Teddy Bluger is another one of those Pittsburgh guys, Jimmy. So I think what's gone on in Vancouver is really smart team building and understanding the importance of character and the eye test, Jimmy. Well, you know what? Their best player right now and the leading point getter in the NHL with 30 points is defenseman Quinn Hughes. And I read a story earlier, Pierre. I'm going to read you this quote. He was talking exactly about what you just told us there with the brain trust that Rick Tockett has built around him on that coaching staff with Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar, Mike Yo. I'll, I'll give you Tockett first. He says, it's important when you have an Adam Foote, a Gonchar. The Sedins even come in sometimes to chime in. Mm -hmm. Mike, yo, I'd be nuts not to use these guys. And now they're saying that they've been so impressed with the way Quinn Hughes has come out and tried to use them and learn from them. And he's like, he comes out right here, Pierre, and he says, I didn't understand how great and how smart these guys were. To have their knowledge with me and use this every day has been such an asset. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And, and they got to love the fact that a young kid like that is taking the initiative to do that. Oh, I agree. And again, he comes from an amazing hockey family. His father was a great pro uh, player at Providence. His mother was a phenomenal Olympian and a great player at University of New Hampshire. Um, his uncle was a great player at Bowdoin College. He's now the president um, of Denison University. Um, so, I mean, you know, you look at the pedigree of the Hughes boys, all of them, not just Quinn, but all of them. Um, mm -hmm. They've come from an amazing hockey family. But to me, um, the biggest thing in, in Vancouver is they have not undersold the importance of character. And I think as teams start to get built more and more here, um, they're going to realize that, yes, numbers matter a lot because um, you can't win unless you outscore the opposition. But how do you get to those numbers? And I think the character part of it's going to matter a lot. And I think teams are realizing that more and more. You know, it's interesting as you were saying that period, I thought about it too with Vancouver. It wasn't too long ago that JT Miller wanted to get the heck out of Dodge there yeah. and, and was not happy at all. What changed for him and how has he come back and found his game? Is, is it that he bought into what exactly what you're talking about there? One of the hardest experiences I had in 34 years in the league um, was being in the bubble in Edmonton and was also one of the most pleasant experiences, if you can understand that dichotomy. Mm -hmm. It was hard to be there for two and a half months. The Dallas Stars, myself, my broadcast partner, Kenny Albert, and maybe two or three officials, we were there for two and a half months. Like, it's a grind, and we couldn't have any contact with the outside world. But the contact we had with the inside world inside the bubble – Phenomenal. And one of the guys I really had a chance to spend time with was JT Miller. And what I found out about JT, Jimmy, as we go along here, is that he never was presented as a leader. People always saw him as this highly skilled player that was a bit of a problem child. And when I saw what he was like in the bubble, I realized nobody ever reported or got to know the person well enough to understand 
He's a passionate, hard-edge, winning-type player that really cares about what's going on inside the team. And awesome. I think that came out for him at the bubble. I really do. Yeah. And it helped him a lot, I think, in his career. Now having Rick there, having had the privilege of coaching Rick and being around Rick and winning with Rick Tockett, I just know him, and uh, I think he's the perfect fit for that team right now. It was a great hire by Patrick Alvin and Jimmy Rutherford. It was an outstanding hire. I mean, I'm guessing that that Rick kind of sensed when he when he got there, and he start, you know, he's got to interview all his players, get to know his players, knowing the background that he has that he shares with you. I'm guessing he sensed that too, and be like, "Wait a minute, this isn't what everyone says." This, yeah, this well, I, I was guy. a bit dumbfounded, Jimmy. I'm going to tell yeah. you, I'm sitting there and, and we're talking uh, right by the rink in their little courtyard in Edmonton outside the arena, and it was fascinating. I'm, I'm listening to him talking about this guy's a leader; like he cares. He wants his team to play a certain way, to act mm -hmm. a certain way, uh, to behave internally with teammate to teammate relationships. I was really impressed by JT when I was out there, and I learned a lot about him and about the Vancouver Canucks going forward because of that time in the bubble. Well, I'll tell you what. We've talked about Adam Fox already. We've talked about Quinn Hughes. You go on the other side of the ice now for this game, and you've got one <laughs> Cal McCarr. And, man, is the NHL Ooh. blessed to have so many amazing defensemen in, in the league right now, so much high, high skill there and so much poise. Look, I, I don't know, Pierre, but I've been watching them a lot. Did he get better? <laughs> like he, he seems like he's, he's even better than he was. First of all, we talk about where players learn from. Start with him with the Brooks Bandits in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Then mm -hmm. go to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, where he learned from maybe one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in college hockey, in, in Greg Carville, um, because of the pro experience that Greg had over time and who Greg learned from over time, both as a college player, as a college coach, as an assistant coach. Um, he learned a lot. So Makar learned a lot from Carvel, which is really good. But the thing about Makar that blows me away, there's an internal battle in a good way every day with a guy by the name of Nathan McKinnon. McKinnon is as intense, Jimmy, I can tell you this right now, as intense as any leader in the National Hockey League, and he's equal opportunity. He'll call out a superstar, and he'll call out a fourth-line player. And sometimes he'll even call out himself. Yeah. I think Nate is just an amazingly intense humanoid, and I think he makes everybody around him better. He's an acquired taste when it comes to leadership. There's no, <laughs> but he, man, oh man, he, he's the, to this day, he and Makar might be the two biggest power players in the league in terms of how they manufacture offense. McKinnon with a straight ahead speed and a strength, and Makar, he just overwhelms you. Watch how hard it is to forecheck him, Jimmy. Yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to contain him on the forecheck because he's so fast and so strong. So yeah. you put Makar and McKinnon against one another, it makes everybody else better. Yeah. It just makes everybody else better. I'm with you. All right, we're going to close it out, Pierre. And I know I, I, I don't mean to throw a curveball at you, but we did discuss this off air. And I I'm just got reminded by a friend who's texting me about it because I told him about our discussion about the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. And I think you know where I'm going with this. And look, the other day, uh, Connor McDavid comes off the ice after his team blows another lead. They lose to the Florida Panthers and our friend Mark Spector is there and he's, you know, he's asking him questions after the game. And Hey, look, I'm going to say you called Nathan McKinnon acquired taste. I love spec, but he's an acquired taste as well. Uh, but you know, he does his job. He's a hard worker and he's just asking the question he's got to ask. And he says to him, you know, Connor, 
you come out another one of these kind of seesaw games. Do you want to maybe stop winning eight, six or being in six, five games, five, three, do you want to maybe start winning four, one, three, one, two, one type games? And McDavid did not take it the right way. I get it. He's frustrated. He's kind of snatched him. He goes, how many times are you going to ask me this stupid question? And he's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And my question to you was that I, I, I wouldn't say it, but I'm thinking in my head, well, if you don't want to be asked the same question, Connor, then come up with a different result. And I'm, I'm being blunt here and I'm not trying to, you know, insult Connor by any means. He's, he's the best player in the game by all accounts. I don't know him personally, but by all accounts, a great guy. But at the same time, it started making me think with him and Drysaddle and what's going on. You've got five coaches there now, three GMs. At, at what they've tried to put different players around them, they've tried to make it work in different ways. Maybe they haven't done the best job. I don't think they have. But at the same time, there's been different players kind of slotted in around them, and nothing seems to work. So, at what point do these two superstars? have to take it upon themselves to maybe change themselves. And, you know, I said to you, think Steve Eisman in Detroit, when he was at that crossroads, when Scotty got there, and you know better than me, so I'm going to let you tell our listeners about that, but I just thought it was a good analogy, and maybe it can work for the Edmonton Oilers. That's a fair point. Um, Look, at back in the 1990s, when Scotty Bowman in his first year went to Detroit, they lost to San Jose in a seven-game series, they were upset in the first round. And Jamie Baker, uh, one of my former players at St. Lawrence yeah. University, scored the, the game-winning goal, uh, the series-winning goal. And I know there was a lot of frustration in Detroit at the time, um, especially for Steve Eiserman, um and for Scotty Bowman. And, and that summer, Scotty brought Steve aside and said, okay, here's some things we need to fix. And, you know, I wasn't privy to the conversation because I wasn't in there, but I was privy to a lot of the information that came out afterwards. And I, I thought it was really appropriate with the way Scotty handled it and with the way Steve handled it. And the rest is history. You know, the, the Red Wings go to the Stanley Cup final the next year. They lose, unfortunately for them, to a really good New Jersey team. But then you look at they win in 97, they win in 98, they win in 2003. Um, so they do a lot of winning, or they win in 2002, sorry. Yep. They do a lot of winning, and and Steve's a huge part of that. And I think that conversation you had with Scotty Bowman was huge. Kenny Holland was privy to that. Mm-hmm. He would know that, the general manager um, in Edmonton. But somebody else that would be really knowledgeable about that, and this is where I think it was smart to put him on the coaching staff. Paul Coffey um, is now running the defense there. And I think Paul, more than anybody, you look at Paul's winning record, it's pretty impressive. Winning in Edmonton, winning in Pittsburgh. He did a lot of winning in his time, Paul did. Winning in Detroit, he did a lot of winning. Winning Canada Cups. I mean, Paul was a really determined, motivated player. Um, And he also understood when he had to shut it down and when he could open it up. He really did as a player. Um, And I think he can probably help Chris Knobloch, the new coach in Edmonton, a lot, Jimmy. I really do. I think – Paul, between Paul Coffey and Kenny Holland, I think they can get both those star players' minds right to understand there's a certain way you have to play. Yep. And if you don't play to that level, then you're never going to win. But if you can play to a certain level, then you can help us all win. And I think yep. we'll get close to that conversation. It's true. And, it, you know, you could be the most skilled player in the world, but if you don't play – to the game we're talking about right now, it's not going to matter. And you know what? 
what struck me when we were talking with Pandolfo and I wanted to, we can draw a parallel here and man, that's a good sign that a kid 17 years old oh. is doing this. What did he say? He said, forget about how skilled he is. We all know that he's a great player. What struck me is how hard he works, how much better he wants to get, how much he loves the game, wants to learn. You can never be too old to do that, Pierre. And you know that. And if you can convey that, maybe if Kenny Holland and Paul Coffey can can kind of convey that to these guys. But look, guys, we know you're the best in the world. We we owe the world. To, we're grateful for everything you do. But you have the ability to lead because you're a superstar. If they see you start doing those little things, then it's going to rub off and it's going to be a ripple effect throughout the lineup. That's what I think needs to happen in Edmonton. They can go out and make all the moves they want. But until those guys start doing that, I don't see a change happening. You know, when you were just talking about what Jay Pandolfo said about Macklin Celebrini, I thought of one player. I really did, Jimmy. And he's a former Hockey East player that was recruited by the late Sean Walsh. His name is Paul Correa. Yeah. And I, I just remember when Paul came out of BC and went to University of Maine in Orono. I remember I was coaching Hartford, and Brian Burke and I and our staff went to BC to actually watch Paul Correa play. Uh, in his draft year. And what blew you away was he wasn't one of the bigger guys, obviously, on the ice in a game that had a lot of big players between Maine and BC. What blew you away was his ability to force turnovers, dominate the puck, and back check. Yep. He was so good at it. And eventually, obviously, Anaheim made a legendary pick and got him. Um, but, you know, you think back, I'm trying to think of players that Macklin oh. Celebrini would remind people of. Yeah. And I would say it'd probably be Paul Correa. And, and and to keep drawing parallels to our convo with Pando, I mean, he was on that team uh, in 2003 that played Korea in the Stanley Cup final. And Pierre, you know, you, you covered that. You were between the benches. You were right there. And I'm sure you could tell our viewers right there, that was the type of leader who put his team on a back and carried them through that playoff run. Obviously they got an amazing performance from J.S. Jaguar, you know, one of the few people to get the con smite as a losing player, but Korea could do that. He could put the team on his back and take them with him. And they all bought in. Yeah. I, I just wanted to make one subtle correction. Cause there'll be people oh, picking sorry. at it. Uh, no, no, it's okay. I was covering that series for TSN with Gordon Miller okay. and Bob McKenzie. I wasn't between the benches, but what I can tell you, I was in the press box, Jimmy, when Scott Stevens blew up Paul Correa, and he whacked him, but good. Mm -hmm. Open ice hit, legendary right. Scott Stevens hit, and everybody thought Paul Correa was done. He came back and put on a show that was unbelievable. Yeah. So that's one of the memorable – you know, when they talk about iconic moments in Stanley Cup final history, that's one of them. Even though Correa's team didn't win, Paul Correa was a winner that day. It was unbelievable oh, yeah. to watch how he did that. So – I love what you just said because it's true. You know, guys that can put teams on their back and lead the way. And I think McDavid can do that. I think Drysaddle can do it. Now they just have to show the guys in the room that they need exactly. business and they can do it. I'm with you. Well, listen, always a pleasure, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. I know you're up in Canada. So you get, you get, are you celebrating American Thanksgiving as well? Absolutely. Uh, my wife, right. Melanie, went out to our favorite butcher in Montreal and got a turkey because it's not turkey season up here, obviously. And I'm a little bit up north. I'm up in the woods and uh, going to celebrate with my mother-in-law and my mom. So I'm looking forward to that. And then a full weekend of college hockey and NHL hockey. So I can't wait, Jimmy. And we'll be talking on Monday. Can't wait.
for sure. I can't wait. And that's when the next episode of the eye test on the sick podcast network will happen. Thanks and happy Thanksgiving to all you Americans. Enjoy. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.